It seems like in life, there's two approaches. And I'm going to contrast these two approaches today in the message. And the first approach to life is one that I'm calling the cultural approach. This is the approach that we get that we are surrounded with. It's in our education system. It's in our work system. And the way that the cultural approach to life operates when I just look out on especially our our Bay Area uh, culture context is it kind of breaks down like this. It breaks down into these three words. Do, have, and then be. In this order. So if you think about, for example, our education system. If you do really well in school, then you will have or you'll get good grades, and then you'll get a good job, and then you'll be successful. It's kind of how the education system works. Or in the workplace, and when I talk to people in Silicon Valley who are working these huge hours, these crazy hours, you do the crazy hours, the 70, 80, 100-hour work weeks, and then you will have your promotion, and then you will be in this great company, or you will be in this high, uh, a high position. You'll get this great job title. Now, I've also talked to some people who sometimes this cultural view, this cultural approach to life, actually gets integrated into family. So, for example, if you're in a family, maybe you grew up in a family like this, you grew up in a family where your parents had you do a lot of stuff. Because if you can do a lot of stuff in a family, in a family that kind of has this cultural view, you do a lot of stuff for the family, and then you have worth, you have value in the family because you do a lot of stuff. And then you are a productive or valuable member of the family. Now, kind of even in a kind of a sort of a goofy, tongue-in-cheek material way, I was thinking about this. You could even say, like, I do, like, I earn a lot of money, and then I have a lot of money, and then I can have an iPhone, and then I am awesome. (laughs) I am cool. You get to be cool, because I work hard, I get a lot of money, I have an iPhone, and then I'm cool. That is one pattern of life that I see show up over and over again. Now, sometimes, even in the church, this cultural understanding gets overlaid into our spiritual journey. And the way it looks like in the church is it looks like this. It looks like I do a lot of stuff for the church, right? I have to do a lot of stuff for the church. And then I have a place in the community. And then the being. I am a Christian. 
I work really hard for the church, I have a place in the church, and then I'm a Christian. And unfortunately, even though that sometimes shows up in the church, that's not really great theology. Because if you do that, what, leads, what this usually leads to, if you get a lot of this, is it usually leads to either burnout or rejection of the church. Because I do all this stuff, and then I think I'm going to have this community, and I think I'm going to be a Christian, and then you end up rejecting the church because you end up burning out. Now, I'm going to contrast this culture on this side with another approach to life, a second approach to life, which is the kingdom, the kingdom of God approach to life. This is a different approach to life. And what I'm going to show is actually that Jesus flips this upside down. Now, if you know anything about Jesus and how Jesus flips stuff upside down, Jesus is always flipping stuff upside down. Jesus is always saying these upside down things like, oh, well, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Or he says these things like, oh, you want to be great in God's kingdom? You want to be great in God's kingdom? Then learn to be the servant of all. He flips that around. Jesus, though he is the son of God, didn't count power and equality with God, something to be grasped at. But instead, he humbled himself. So Jesus is always flipping stuff upside down and the way that we look at stuff upside down. And I think what Jesus will show and what Scripture shows is that when we approach life in a kingdom view, it actually looks more like this. The first part is be. The first part is being. And then out of being, then you have. And then the last part is the do. With kingdom, it's be, and then have, and then do. Now, according to Scripture and followers of Jesus Christ, one of those things that establishes our being is what Scripture says in 1 John 3, 1. And if you're familiar with 1 John 3, you know that there's this family imagery that's created in 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Could you put that uh, verse up on the, uh, on the slide, please? See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. The prodigal son story from last week also bears this out, that we are someone in God's family. It's not that from last week's story, the younger son ceases to be part of the family because he does stuff. He's always a part 
of the family. And that's what this passage says here. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. It's that this understanding of our identity coming first establishes our identity, not because of what we do, but because of what God does. It's because of what God does and who God says that we are. That's why it begins here in the kingdom approach to life. Now, now somebody could be looking at this and go, uh, oh, wait, no, you know, I've, I've been around Christianity for a while. It, it, it doesn't really start here. And, and if you're inclined to, you know, you want to argue with me a little bit, you go like, you really need to do something first. Like, technically, you need to do something first to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're kind of struggling with that and, and all that, I'd say, okay, there is something you do need to do. And what you need to do is you need to accept God's love for you. You need to receive God's love for you. I mean, you have to accept that God wants you to be his child. You have to accept and be willing to accept this identity. So there is a doing that you have to do. But the way I was thinking about this kind of identity was a little bit like our dog. And some of you have met our dog, Sherry, and how we've adopted Sherry into our family. Now, you guys know, like as a teacher, as a preacher, like I never talk about my kids, right? Keeps our family safe, keeps our home safe. But all bets are off when it comes to the dog. So I'm talking about our dog. So Sherry does have to accept our love for her. Sherry does have to receive being adopted into our family. So yeah, she has to do that. She has to let us pet her. She has to let us feed her. She has to let us scratch her under her chin and go on walks with her. She has to, she has to do that. But she is adopted into our family. She is a part of our family. Do you know this? This is so interesting about pets. When you go to the veterinarian, the vet calls her Sherry Lou. (laughs) She is our family. She is Sherry Lou. She's our family. We've adopted her. And this is her being. This is her being. This is what Romans says in chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love was operative for us before we could receive it. And so for us to receive God's love, it's there, it's present. God's invitation to his family is present with us and we do have to receive it. So that's this whole idea of be. Now, when we say yes to receive God's love and forgiveness, we become children of God, we become someone in God's family, and our identity and being are changed because we're included in something eternal. 
And then that moves us into the have. That moves us into the have. Because when we're someone in God's family, then we have community. And we have community in actually two ways. We have community in Christ and we have community with Christ. I'm gonna say something very briefly about those two differences, in Christ and with Christ. We have community in Christ because we have fellowship with each other. We have fellowship with one another here in the church. And it's not because of something that we've done, but because of something that God has done. We have fellowship in Christ in the church because of what God has done and who God says that we are. That's why the church is a mystery. That's why the person sitting next to you and the person sitting in front of you and the person sitting behind you is a sacred mystery. Because each of us are on a different spiritual journey with God. And this is not um, your church or my church. This is God's church. And the people that are sitting around you are here because of the journey that they are on with God and with Christ. And so in Christ, we have fellowship with each other. But it is a mystery and it is sacred that all of us are here together in church at GRX at this time because God's work in our lives has brought us together to be the body of Christ and God's church in this time, in this place right now. And we have community in Christ with one another. And that's the in Christ part. But we also have fellowship and community with Christ. And this comes out of John 15, 4 and 5. This is the teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples. And he says this. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. It's like, remain in me as I remain in you. This is this, we have this communion with Christ. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to try to illustrate this with a plant that uh, I brought in. And actually, if could we turn on the main lights, please? I'm going to bring this out here. Well, actually, these guys are going to help me and bring this out here. This is great. So this is a tomato plant. Now, some of you might actually remember this plant. Um, it was here last week. This is actually um, um, a James Montgomery cherry tomato plant. 
So this is a James Montgomery uh, baby, if you will. And um, James brought a bunch of his tomato plants last week, and he had a bunch of them out on the table, and he was giving them away. Anybody that wanted a tomato plant could come and pick up a tomato plant. So this is one of James Montgomery's tomato plants. And I hear from his, uh, from his family that he treats these um, as good as he treats his children. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave it like that. Um, anyway, uh, so here's a tomato plant. And what Jesus was talking about was vine and branches. So it would be like Jesus is the main stem and we are like these branches that come off. And Jesus is saying, abide in me like the branch abides in the vine, as this offshoot abides in the main stem. Now that word abide, you think, well, I have to do something. It's actually more like a being, really, because it just means remain, as in remain attached remain, like be the tomato plant. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, be connected with me, have communion with me, and then you will bear fruit that will last. Now, let's just say I took this tomato plant and I just snipped off this part over here. And you guys know, right? It's not going to bear any fruit at least not any fruit that's going to last. And that's what Jesus is saying. I mean, you clip this off, and it's going to live for a little while, but it's not going to produce any good tomatoes. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Yeah, you snip this off, you get detached from me, and yeah, you can, you can go through life, you can cruise through life, and you can survive, but you're not going to bear any fruit that's going to last you're not going to participate in anything that's going to have eternal significance. And that's what Jesus is about. That's the being, that we're children of God, that we are in God's family, that we participate in something eternal and bear fruit, build relationships with others in such a way that they also participate in eternity. How hard is it for this little guy to stay connected to this stem? There's not a lot of effort, really. It's remaining. It's being a part of the plant. And that's what I think is Jesus saying here. So if we remain or be a part of the plant, then we will have community in the church, in Christ, and then we will have community with Christ, the way that the branch has community with the vine. And then let me get to this last part. So then, the do. What is the do part? The do, the doing, the activity, it emerges from all of this stuff. It emerges from our connection with God, from our identity of who God says that we are. And that means that our life activity actually gets transformed. If you're operating out of this over here, then this kind of doing can often be motivated by 
fear or worry or striving. If I don't do X, then I won't have Y, then I won't be Z. But over here, the kingdom is saying, you already are. You already are valuable. You already are a part of something eternal. You already are loved. So you already have community. You already have a place. You already have an identity. And then the doing emerges from that. You see this in the story of Mary and Martha, where you see one person operating out of this side, and you see one person operating out of this side. Luke 10, 38 and 42, talks about these two sisters. And Jesus goes to their home, and one of the sisters is operating here, and one of the sisters is operating here. And this is the passage, Luke 10, verse 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, this is Jesus and a bunch of his disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed them into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So Martha was over here. Martha was distracted by much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Because Mary was at the feet of Jesus. So Martha says, tell her, tell Mary then to help me. But the Lord Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, right? What is the motivation of Martha's doing? You're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What is this? Martha was living in her culture. The doing. I'll serve Jesus. He's in my house. And maybe there was a cultural obligation. Someone comes to your house. You're obligated to host them. What will that look like to the community if I don't put out this big spread of food for Jesus? I'll host. And then I don't want people to think badly of me. So I'll do this. And then maybe if I serve Jesus... I'll have his approval. Maybe if I do all this stuff, I'll have the approval of others. Maybe I'll look good. And then I'll be loved. I'll be important. I'll be accepted. I'll be successful, however you want to define that. But Mary was over on this side. Mary and her being was to be loved by Jesus. And so she's like, I'll be present to Jesus. And then I'll have communion, community with him. And being at his feet, she had community with other people. 
right there around Jesus. And her doing was being there with Jesus, sitting at his feet, being there. Maybe needing to say no to some of this stuff so that she could have community and communion with Jesus. There are a bunch of areas of application where this can be applied. For example, here in GRX, I know there are several people who are job hunting. And if you've ever been unemployed and job hunting, and I've, I've been job hunting before and unemployed, it is a very anxious time. It is a very difficult season. How does this look if you're job hunting? How does this feel if you're job hunting? The cultural approach would say, man, I don't have a job. I really need a job. I'm not working. And because I'm not working, maybe the temptation is to feel like I don't have value because I'm not working. And then because I'm not working, and then because I don't have value, I'm not a great person. In fact, I'm a terrible person. And I feel depressed, and I beat myself up, and I condemn myself, and I think, man, I should have done this, or I should have done that. And you live in all this regret. And I think one of the struggles about job hunting is because we live in this arena. A completely different way to think about our vocation or our work or our job or our occupation is this. I am someone who is participating in something eternal. I am a part of God's eternal family. And I have communion and fellowship with God and with others. And I am valuable because of who God says that I am. So then when it comes to the doing of work, it transforms this to say, God, what do you want me to do for work? What, are, what doors are you, God, opening up for me? How do I serve your kingdom? Because right now, I have openness to see how you want me to participate in what your kingdom is doing. That's how this transforms. You can take this application for all kinds of things. For singleness. For marriage. For having kids. Not having kids. Right? If I do the relational thing, then I'll have the relationship that I want. Then I will be successful. Right? It plays itself out. Or this side instead. Work, career, school. You run it through this. You can even look at this in terms of your family of origin. What did your family of origin tell you about your identity? How do you know who you are? What was practiced? What was taught? I'm going to end with a few of these questions. They're personal reflection questions. You can do these in your life group if you want, or you can reflect on these just on your own. The first question is a B question. Where is your core identity? 
Where is your core identity? I'm doing a series on alignment. I'm doing a series on alignment, right? I'm trying to align us over here on this side. But we have so much culture and history that aligns us on this side. So our question to align us over here is, where is your core identity? Who tells you who you are? Is it what you've done or what you have? Your achievements, your job title. Where is your core identity? And then the second thing is the have. How are you in community in Christ and with Christ? Because we have community. We have community. And I think for us, I think we have a fantastic GRX community here. And for us in GRX, my question is, how are you being community for the people around you? How are you being community in Christ with the people sitting in front of you or the people sitting behind you or the people next to you? Because this is our community, that we have community. How are we being community with one another in Christ and with Christ? And then the last thing is the do. What do you sense God prompting you to do? And this can be anything. It can be anything, not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of fear, not out of striving, right? Because that's all on this side. It's all out of a core identity of being loved by God and being a part of God's family. And then our doing opens up into all kinds of creative ways. I like to say at the church that God really doesn't need us to do anything. Jesus did that. Jesus died on the cross already. Jesus has forgiven sins. What we get to do is participate in the eternal reality and love that God is already inviting us into. That's what we get to do. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much that you love us. I know that's really hard for us to get. I know that's really hard for us to get because our whole culture is about doing first. But God, I pray that as much as we're able, we would get how much you love us, how much you forgive us, and how delighted you are with who we are and who we're becoming. God, I thank you for our community here that you give us fellowship with one another. And God, I thank you that you call us to participate in what you're doing. Not because we have to, but because we get to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.